Pastor John Mark Caton returns to today's Bible study to deliver an inspiring message for our series titled, Mad Men of the Old Testament. Now, let's hear from John Mark. All right, well, uh, Justin didn't explain exactly what he was doing there when he kept asking the scores of those games. I acknowledged to our deacons Sunday morning is uh, a couple of years ago after the hailstorm and everything, and we had all these kids that have gone off to college. Obviously, I'm a Baylor grad, and then uh, so my wife bought me a Baylor uh, coffee cup. And, um, and then I, I have sons that go to Arkansas, so I've got an Arkansas coffee cup in my in my office in there. And then my daughters went to OU, so I have an OU coffee cup. Well, I have never drunk uh, on a Sunday morning out of a loser's cup, all right? So if I was one and two for the weekend, whoever won that game, I drank out of that cup. And so I had to acknowledge that uh, to, to the deacon Sunday that my cups were 0 for 3 this weekend and I was a complete loser. And someone asked me, are you superstitious? I go, no, I already know who won the game, right? That's not superstitious. I acknowledge we got beat, all three. So I drank out of a Cottonwood Creek coffee mug because they always win. That was kind of what he was driving out. So if you don't have your coffee, Cottonwood Creek uh, mug, we've never lost a Sunday. We are undefeated. So uh, anyway, hey guys, good to see you this morning. We are going to continue to uh, uh, talk about madmen of the Old Testament. Last week, we looked at a dude named Nabal. Uh, none of us want to be Nabal. Man, he's just a foolish man uh, who put himself, uh, those who are around him, uh, as well as uh, uh, even his wife and kids in jeopardy just because he was a foolish man. And so today I want to talk to you about a dude uh, that uh, had so much promise and so much potential, but wasted it all uh, because he never just developed his character. He never learned to control his emotions. He never learned uh, to just uh, stop competing with other people and let other people flourish along with himself. And so I want to encourage us today to look at a guy named Saul. And yes, Saul was the first king in the Old Testament. You'll remember God's uh, greatest desire for the children of Israel, that they would go to, into the promised land, and they would be what would be called a theocracy, that uh, you would have these tribal leaders, the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel. They would have uh, worship and sacrifice and simply serve God, kind of as a collective. But the children of Israel begin to do what they always did and what you and I do as well. We begin to look around. We begin to take note of other people and say, you know, all these other nations around us, the one thing they have that we don't have, they have a king. And so we want a king. Now, God looked at them and says, you really don't want a king. And they said, why don't we want a king? He said, well, he'll start taxing you to death. He'll take your kids off to war. He'll make dumb decisions and you'll ultimately regret it. Well, guess what? The children of Israel said, that's great. Give us one of those. Anybody else been in here? You ever done that? You know the end of the road. You go, yeah, give me one of those. Actually, can I get two, right? And so that's what happened. So the children of Israel cried out, cried out, cried out. Um, uh, Samuel, who was a prophet at the time, wept and said, they've rejected me. That's what God wanted. God wanted godly men walking around along with the tribal leaders, 12 tribes of Israel, walking around, leading the children of Israel to follow God's word and live out God's word. That's what God's design was. And so the children of Israel said no. And Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, he began to weep. And he says, they've rejected my leadership. They, they've rejected my leadership. In a Baptist church, that's called, that, that's called a business meeting, right? Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, goodbye. Uh, get us a new pastor. But they say, and, and God says, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. 
And so what happened is when they rejected God, they chose a dude named Saul. Now, we're going to show you Saul here in a few seconds. If there was ever a dude, let's be honest, I, I want you, if we were choosing a dude to be our king, we would choose this guy. Because he, he was a stud. He was a powerful man. You ever, you ever walked onto the football field or you've been there or even baseball, no Aaron Judge doing his thing right now. Uh, you, ever, you ever walked or seen someone in sports or you've watched the NFL draft and you see this guy you've never heard about. He's from some little state. And you look at the dude and you're like, he's a stud. How many of you know what I'm telling you? You're just like, dude, he is a man among men. And then later you realize, but that dude can't play, right? Right, he just flat can't, out pl can't play. He's gotten this far because he's 6'6 and just as fast as anything, but he can't catch the ball or something like that. That's what they found out about Saul. They thought they chose the perfect leader. And so I want us to take a, a few uh, thoughts from Saul's life and just kind of look at it. And every, one of the, every once in a while, one of these, I'm going to compare Saul and David. David, who ultimately ended up being the greatest king the children of Israel ever had, even though he was only the second king, it was downhill from there afterwards. But guys, hopefully we'll glean some insights from Saul. And we'll see some of the things in his life that caused his downfall, that literally destroyed him and his family and everything else, actually to a place where it caused God to say, I reject him as my king. And guys, the last thing we ever want to do is to be rejected by our creator. Now, if you're saved, you know the Holy Spirit will seal you into the day of redemption. However, I do believe there can be a point in a man's life where as we just continue in disobedience and reject God over and over and over and over again, that God just kind of removes his hand of blessing and says, I can't use you because you are not willing to submit to the Spirit of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't ever want to be this dude. And so my prayer today is that we would look at Saul and glean some insights of what took this guy who had all the promise in the world, that God and the children of Israel had so many hopeful thoughts. And because of a couple of things, he never became who God really wanted him to become. And so thought number one is this. You might just want to write this down. When it, when it came to Saul, uh, he ultimately only relied on his natural ability and nothing else. I, I love what uh, Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Here's what it says. Though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. You might want to write that down, Proverbs 24, 16. Now, notice what it says. The righteous may fall seven times, but they always rise again. And maybe you're a dude here right now that you feel like you're in a space where things just are not going well for you. Can I just give you a little encouragement from this verse? This is Solomon, the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth. He looked around. He goes, you know what I've noticed? Righteous people aren't successful at everything. They have seasons of failure in their lives. See, a lot of times we have this hopeful anticipation, this hopeful idea in our mind that if I just love God and do my best and I serve Him, that I'm never going to fall. 
Solomon looked around. He goes, here's what I've noticed. There's some righteous dudes in this world. There's some good dudes in this world that put in all the energy and all the effort and they're great company men or these incredible ideas and they still get laid off. They still go through difficult things in their, in their in seasons in relationships. They, they still struggle with kids. They still struggle with this. They struggle, still struggle with that. But here's what you also want to take note. He says, the righteous men fall seven times, but they ultimately rise again. But a wicked person will stumble when calamity strikes. That word stumble means fall and never get back up. And, and we're going we're gonna to see that Saul ultimately moves from being just a self-absorbed dude that is prideful to becoming a man who just stumbles and stays there. We're going to see little blips in the screen for him, but we're never going to see him get to a place where he begins to put things behind him. We're going to see the same things come up over and over and over again. Part of us growing in our faith and growing in our walk with God is that we understand there are those things that if I look back on my past, I struggled here and I fell, but I got back up. And now I'm going to put that one behind me. I'm going to put that one behind me. I'm going to put that one behind me. So guys, here's what I'm going to ask you. What is it that keeps causing you to fall? And what is it that you need to put behind you, that you need to grow from, from that you need to move forward from? And, and I don't know what yours is, but we all have them. What we want to do is once those things cause us to stumble, we want to learn from it and say, man, you know what? I don't need to repeat that failure again. If you've ever coached uh, uh, teams or coached your kids or you've had a good coach sometimes, you know, one of the best things a coach can say is stop making the same mistake over and over again, right? Now, that doesn't mean you don't make mistakes, but the best thing a good athlete does or a good player does or a good, what do they do? They make a different mistake, right? We want to minimize them, but don't make the same mistake over and over and over again because that's when we grow. As I'm pushing myself to a new space and a new level where I'm trying something new, when I'm trying something new in my walk with Christ or in my relationships or with my kids or, or at the office or when I'm trying, that's when I should fall because I've, I've learned from the old failures and I'm making new mistakes. And the one thing that we see in Saul's life is it just seems like, man, dude, you're repeating the same mistake over and over and over again. If you were here Sunday, uh, you remember me reading this verse, jump off, fast forward all the way in towards the end of uh, uh, Saul and David's relationships. And, and this is another one of those seasons. David had an opportunity to kill Saul. Uh, he chose not to kill Saul. Saul was pursuing David to kill him. Actually, Saul was with hundreds of men trying to kill David, and all David had done was serve him and fight the Philistines. We're going to see a couple of those examples. But fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 11. We'll put it on the screen. And David spared Saul's life again. And then David said this, he says, I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. So again, we see Saul, who is so jealous of David that he can't allow David to coexist in the kingdom with him. He just is so jealous that every chance he gets, every time he thinks about it, man, I am going to go destroy David. Well, what did the children of Israel, what did the people of Israel, what did the people of God need at this moment? They needed Saul to put the bad things behind him, and they needed David 
to come alongside him. That's what the children of Israel needed. But instead, Saul wouldn't let it happen. And so they began to repeat these mistakes over and over again. And notice what it says. Uh, David said, I have not wronged you, yet you are hunting me down to take my life. Look at verse 12. David finally just says, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the, wrong, avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But by my hand, my hand will not touch you. Look at verse 13. But as the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds. You know what he was saying? Guys, we are all defined by our next moment. We are all defined by our next moment. Yeah, currently you're probably defined by your last moment. Your last win or your last loss. Your last sin or your last struggle or your last victory. But ultimately what David is saying is from evil men will come evil deeds. See, that's, that's about your next moment. But if you reverse that old saying, from good men come good deeds. Guys, I'll think about that. The righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. What is he saying? He goes, you know, you can look back on your history and you can look back on my history and you go, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Probably shouldn't have said that. Anybody have those seasons in your life? All right, those don't define you. They may shape you, your wins shape you, your, your losses shape you, but they don't define you. What David is saying is, at the end of the day, Saul, he was using this old saying, he said, at the end of the day, from evil men come evil deeds. In other words, we'll know who you are, Saul. Because right here in this passage, Saul says, oh, David, I know you love me. I don't know why I ever wanted to kill you. And then guess what happens in the next chapter? He tried to kill David again, right? Because from evil men come evil deeds. So, guys, I want to encourage you when we look at Saul today, everybody in this room, including the one who developed this message today, can identify with some of the same things that I'm going to, see, I'm going to say here. I'm going to say, Ugh. in fact, I can think back on some of my life and some of my seasons, some of my ministry and some of my sports experiences. And I, was, I was like, that was me and this dude. And I should have been better than that for the team. I should have been better than that for my family. Or I should have been better than that for my church. And so I want to encourage us as we go forward, first, just to think about him, honestly examine your own heart, and then look forward and say, I'm never going to let this define me again. And so thought number one, again, is he relied more on his natural ability. He never really developed his character. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is when Saul was elected king. Uh, the children of Israel had rejected God's thought of, uh, of a theocracy. And so uh, Samuel says they've rejected me. And God says, no, they've rejected me. They haven't rejected you. Go give them the king that they want. And so God gives them Saul. They wanted some powerful, strong leader who looked the part. Look at Samuel. He, man, he looked the part. I mean, look at, look at Saul. He looked the part. Verse 23. He says, they ran and they brought him out. This is Saul. Um, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see this man? This is the man that the Lord has chosen. There is no one like him among the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Man, when it came to looks, 
when it came to uh, the NFL Combine. He had it every. He had it all. He had the vertical jump. He had the speed. He had the quickness. He had everything. He had it all. Man, when when they looked, this is exactly what they desired. They desired more than anything to have a king that they could be more proud of their king than be fearful of someone else's king. And so they found this guy. Now contrast this kind of king, Saul, who essentially became an abject failure with David. You remember David? What does it say about David? 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. It says, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you a ruler over Israel. What has God reminded uh, David? Hey, don't ever forget, David. I took you from the backside of nowhere as a little shepherd boy. Saul had the look. He was a head taller than everybody. He was strong. He was powerful. He was a fighting man. He was everything. He goes, but David, don't ever forget. You were a shepherd boy. As a matter of fact, uh, David, don't ever forget when I sent Samuel to your father's house, you were the seventh son and the seventh least, least likely in your dad's eyes to become king. And so if you contrast these two individuals, Saul had it all. David didn't even come close to looking the part. And so the point in here for us, as we start thinking this, guys, it doesn't matter if you look the part or not right now. God can use you. I'm going to say that again. Whether you think you look the part right now or not, of a man that God can use, God can use you. I'm also going to challenge some of the guys in the room that you've looked the part for a while. But don't ever, ever fail to deal with those things in your heart that can take you down just like Saul. Because we can all think about that. And so thought number one, he looked the part. Guys, it doesn't matter whether you look the part or not. It's what does your heart look like between you and God? What are those things in your life? that are going to take you out if you don't get them under control. And so we're going to look at some things in Saul's life. Let's, let's start with the next thought here. Saul wasn't willing to share the limelight with anybody. Write that down. Saul wasn't willing to share the limelight with anybody. Boy, probably the best example of this, and Saul was always uh, jealous of David. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, that's where we are, Justin. And, and, and here's what it says. It says, when the, people, when, when the men were returning home after David killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David had slain his tens of thousands. So notice the song. Notice what it said, first of all, after David had killed the Philistines, the, uh, uh, the ladies came out, they're just singing. The choir shows up, and they're singing, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. Now, they had just had a victory over the Philistines, their arch enemies, their arch rivals. And this should have been a great day for the king. 
The, the king could have sat there and said, yeah, all right, let's forget about the number. Uh, but guess what? Uh, I, I developed a strategy. And part of my strategy was, all right, I'm going to be over here and fight the Philistines. And David, you're going to take your men. You're going to go around here. We're going to destroy these people. And guess what? They get the victory. They come back in. Everybody's singing. Everybody's joyful. Everybody's celebrating. And then all of a sudden, Saul does the math, and he's a little concerned that someone gave David a little more credit than he received. And notice the very next verse, verse 8. This is 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, Saul was very angry. And this refrain pleased him. He says, they have credited David with tens of thousands, but me only a thousand. What more can he do but have the kingdom? Look verse 9. And from that point on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, here it is. Saul, who is the king over all of Israel, who has just had an incredible victory, and all that has happened is they threw a party. And in the midst of a song, the lady said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his, his tens of thousands. And instead of caring more about the victory for the children of Israel and that God's people are celebrating the victory and singing, all he can do is the math. Guys, sometimes if we aren't careful, we can be that way. We can work and we can do things and, and we can serve. And then all of a sudden, someone gets more credit than I do. Someone has more followers on social media than I do. Uh, someone just gets patted on the back a little more than I do. And from that point on, notice what it says. From that point on, he kept a close eye on David. What does that mean? Saul, who was the king who was taller than everybody, who was everything. He was the king that the children of Israel wanted. Instead of Saul leading the people well, all he cared about was keeping David down. And I'm going to encourage you in your life, guys. Don't be like Saul. Don't always live for the praise of men. If you are, there are going to be times, especially in God's kingdom, especially in God's church, when you are, in fact, going to outserve, outwork, outlove, outencourage, outdo everybody else, and it seems like someone else is always getting the credit. I can tell you his name. He's called the pastor of this church. I'm just going to tell you, you want to know who does all the work? Right over there. Not, not necessarily Hill House, but uh, Hill House is just barely under me. Does nothing, gets a little credit. He's just loud, right? Yeah, y'all give Hill House a hand. But I, I will tell you, I, I want you to know, guys, I get a whole bunch of credit for things I had very little to do with other than surrounding myself with really, really good people. And so, guys, I want you to know there might be a time in your season, in your service, in your ministry, in your life, at your job, that you don't get the credit you deserve. Because I'll tell you, in this moment, Saul deserves a lot of credit. He was elected king. The Philistines were arch enemies. Here's what I'm going to do. My best dude who could go take them out is a little shepherd boy named David. 
I've already seen him tear up Goliath when the rest of my men, right? He had already seen it. He goes, all right, I got an idea. David, grab out 400 dudes. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to distract them. You slip over that mountain around the hill. You ever hunted a deer? Uh, you slip over that mountain. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to come up on this side. Maybe we'll surprise them. David goes out and wears out the Philistines. And Saul deserves the credit. But all he does is the math. And so guys, don't ever live in such a space that you are jealous when someone else gets the credit. Because I want you to know that God sees everything you will do. What this will make you is it'll make you bitter. And you'll end up being just like Saul. You will always have your eye on the scoreboard. Who gets more credit than me? Who gets more credit than me? And let me tell you what, when the David in your life leaves and someone else shows up, insert new name, who gets the credit? That's what we want to think about is, first of all, don't live for the praise of men. Here's another thought as you just jump down. Man, Saul lived with an unrepentant heart. Saul lived with a truly unrepentant heart. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? He was always blaming someone else for his mistakes. He was always passing the buck for his failures. Now I'm going to show you some, uh, some interesting uh, pronouns in this next passage we're going to read. But let me just tell you this. It, it's interesting when you look at Saul, when there's something good, he says we. When it's something bad, he says they. Anybody raise kids? <laughs> you, ever, you ever caught your kids doing something wrong and one of your kids' first uh, response was to name the other kid, right? But they, all right, that's exactly the way Saul lived his entire life. We did this good thing together. They did this bad thing together. And so he lived with kind of an unrepentant heart. Now, uh, picture that uh, in, in, in contrast with David. How many of you know David wasn't a perfect dude? But man, when Ta David was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba, he finally looked at God and says, I have committed this sin in your sight. I have made this mistake. Notice that's exactly the opposite of what Saul does. And so here's what happens. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to read, um, read you kind of the story of what took place. But, but the earlier verses, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. But the earlier verses, uh, here's what happened. God showed up to Samuel and showed up to Saul. He says, you're going to go up there and you're going to wipe these people out. And part of the reason that we're going to wipe them out, it went all the way back from the children of Israel going from Egypt toward the promised land that this king attacked them when they were in a low spot and tried to do everything he could to destroy them. Well, God, God said, listen, it's time for us to avenge this. We're going to expand our territory. I want you to go out and I want you to tear them, up, tear them up. And here's what God said, and we see this over and over, a consistent failure in the children of Israel. He goes, and when you kill them, I don't want you to keep anything for yourselves. Kill all the livestock, all of everything. Don't take anything from yourselves. How many remember the story when they finally got in the promised land? They tore up Jericho and started patting themselves on the back. And then they went to that little bitty town called Ai and got routed. And it turns out the reason why is because someone stole, a guy named Aiken had stole some of the best uh, produce. And that's what we see here. 
So let's just begin to read verse 9. Now, God has said, man, you're going to go in there. Uh, you're going to destroy it all. You're not going to take anything for yourself. Here's what happens in verse 9. But Saul uh, and the army spared Agag, and the best, notice, the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good, they spared. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So here's what they did. They walked in there and said, we are going to be completely obedient with these bad animals. They're not worthy. But this good stuff, we're going to take for ourselves, even though God said kill it all. You know, we're not going to go in there. We're not going to destroy them for our own personal gain. Uh, and so God then shows up to Samuel, the prophet. He goes, hey, you need to go talk to Saul. Because Saul, again, is in the midst of a season of partial, partial disobedience and partial obedience. He's done a little bit of what I said, but he hasn't done it all. And so Samuel goes down, jump down to verse 12. He says, early in the morning, Samuel got up with the Saul. But uh, he was told, well, Saul isn't here. He's gone up to Carmel. And what's Saul going to do? He says, there he has set up a monument in his own honor. Okay, that's a little problem, right? Guys, just take note. Don't ever build a monument to yourself, all right? Don't ever do that, okay? Except if it's a man cave and I get to come over and watch football. Then I'm in, all right? But don't ever build a monument to yourself. So Saul goes to his man and says, hey, where's Saul? I need to talk to him. And the man goes, yeah, he went up to Carmel. What's he doing in Carmel? He's building a monument. Oh, great. Who's he building a monument to? Uh, himself. And so let's continue to read. Notice what it says. Uh, and, uh, and he turned gone down to Gilgal. Now look at verse 13. It says, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, he turned around, saw the man of God, the prophet of God, said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Look at verse 14. And the, but Paul, but saw, Samuel said to him, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Immediately Saul goes, who told him that we kept the best of all the crops? But the better, better response is what we see down, look down to verse 13. Saul answered and said, these soldiers, notice there it is, not me, the soldiers. What did the soldiers do? The soldiers brought, from, brought them from the Amalekites. They, notice, pointing the finger, passing the buck. He's the leader. He, he had been given instructions by Samuel. They, he's talking about their sin, spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord their God. While well, I'm up here building uh, this, honor, this uh, altar to myself. But we, now notice he advised himself totally destroyed the rest. Now notice what he did. They, 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 but we totally destroyed the rest. And guys, when we begin to point out someone else's sin, more than we acknowledge our own, that's a problem. And that's exactly what Saul said. He began to take credit for any little victory, but he always wanted to blame a defeat on someone else. That's called not being a team player. Anybody been on a team that, man, you, you, you've got guys around that they are always, always taking credit for the win, but pointing out the failures as someone else's fault. 
And that's Saul. Now, it gets better. Look at it. It says, they totally destroyed, but, uh, but we totally destroyed the rest. Jump down to verse 20. It says, uh, but I did obey the Lord. So Samuel, they have this little back and forth. And Samuel says, yeah, but I told you this, but you didn't do this, but they did And then he says, but I did obey the Lord. This is Saul. He's never owning up. Saul said, I went out uh, on the mission as the Lord assigned. I, notice I, 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 here it is. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, brought back Agag, their king. And notice what it says. They, the soldiers, took the cattle and the plunder and the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice to them to the Lord, um, your God at Gilgal. Look at verse 22. So notice, I, 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 I did this, they did that. Verse 22, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in your burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obeying the Lord? He gives you a, a clear, a clear uh, statement. He goes, listen, guys, what God wants from us most is obedience, not sacrifice. You will see this, this theme come up through the whole Old Testament. You'll see it stated again during David's time. You can find this phrase uh, in the Psalms. You can find it in most of, the, most of the major prophets. You can see Jesus even responding with this phrase here. What does God require more, obedience or sacrifice? Guys, I, I will promise you that God wants your obedience as much Monday through Saturday as he wants your sacrifice on Sunday morning. That we don't want to be the kind of men that live one way through the week and then we come into church and live a different way. He says, man, give me obedience on Tuesday. Give me obedience on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And then come bring your sacrifices on Sunday morning. And so it's not there. And so Saul replied, notice as we pick it up, several more back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now jump down to verse 30. And it's always Samuel saying, yeah. And Saul's response was, I did this, but the soldiers did this. I did this, but the soldiers did this. And then Saul replied, I have sinned. Now notice it. You're like, all right, good. We showed up. He says, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Anybody notice the theme? It's all about Saul. He's saying, listen, uh, I've, I've sinned, but let's don't tell the elders of Israel so I can go down and worship. Man, there's a deep-seated desire for Saul to never look bad in front of his men. That's what happened. That's why he hated David. That's why he kept an eye on David the rest of the life because he was constantly hearing, thinking that David was outdoing him. David was getting more praise. But man, just an incredible thought. I have sinned, but please don't dishonor me before the elders of Israel. Let me come back with me so I might worship. All he wanted Samuel to do, walk in town with me that I might worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with him, gave him another chance. And let me give you another thought. Saul never learned to control his emotions. Saul never learned to control his emotions. You say, where do you see this? Jump, jump down to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 6. So Jonathan uh, was convinced uh, that Saul would not kill David. So that, they had this back and forth, this back and forth, back and forth. So Jonathan goes to Saul and says, hey, Dad, don't kill him. And so here it is. Pick it up, verse 6. Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan said, Dad, I really don't know why. 
you're always trying to kill David. David's done nothing but honor you and, and, and praise you and fight battles for you. And so Jonathan goes to his dad, and his dad says, all right, I won't put him to death. Look at verse 7. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He says he brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul just as David was with Saul before. You would think things are fine. Look at this. Once more, a war broke out. What did Saul do? He said, David, get your men. Go fight for me and fight the Philistines. And David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. Now back to verse 9. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul uh, as he was sitting there in his house with his spear in his hand. Now be careful with these kind of Saul guys. If they have a spear in their hand, watch out. Someone's going to get shot. And it says, while David was playing the lyre, notice what it says. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with the spear, but David evaded him. So here you have Saul, who's wishy-washy. Jonathan, his son, who apparently was a godly man, David's best friend, convinced Saul, Dad, you're the king. David doesn't want to do you any harm. And so here we have, Saul says, all right. I'm not going to do him any harm. Bring him to me. Then war broke out with the Philistines. Saul sends out David. David ultimately wins the victory, comes back, and this guy can't control his emotions. He begins to get angry. He begins to, uh, to, 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 to think again that David's trying to kill him. And it says he took the spear that was in his hand and tried to pin David to the wall. Now, by the way, you see this several times in, in Saul's life. He might have been a, a strong, strapping young man, but he apparently wasn't a very good shot with a spear. Because he actually tries to spear his son. He tries to spear David twice. So the one thing you were safe around Saul is if he's throwing a spear at you, all right? You probably wouldn't, didn't want to go in the octagon with him, but if he was throwing a spear at you, you had a pretty good shot at getting away. So, guys, is there someone in here that you're a loose cannon with your emotions? that you just, you just can't control your emotions. And that's apparently a problem, a pervasive problem, and I could give you several examples through here. Just, just stuff like, you know, Saul is slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. That was just a poetic song of worship. And honoring both of them, all of a sudden he just couldn't control his emotions. Guys, if you're in here and you're in a space where you can't control your emotions, it will destroy you. It will destroy your kids. It will destroy those who are loyal to you. And that's exactly what we see. And here's the final thought. Ultimately, Saul was illogical and cruel. You know, I've been around some, some men who were church-going men. But you just watch the way they talk to people and operate with other people. And at the end of the day, they're just cruel. They're just mean. Now let's jump to another example. And by the way, it's the very next chapter. You've probably all heard the story about uh, David again after he's been... Now remember what happened in 19 is Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. Here we are in chapter 20 uh, where Jonathan said, Hey, Dad wants to have a feast. And uh, David said, Well, you know what? I don't think I really want to be in the room with your dad, especially when he's drinking. That's exactly what's happening, all right? And, he, and Jonathan goes, No, no, no. I, I've talked to Dad. And David says, I'm pretty sure he wants to kill me. So Jonathan... Jonathan says, all right, here's what we're going to do. You act like you're going to Bethlehem. I'm going to go talk to my dad. If my dad's not going to kill you, I'm going to come out here. I'll let you know, and I'll bring you in. So here it is. That's the story. Jump all the way down to verse 28. Jonathan answered. David earnestly asked for permission. He's talking to his dad here. He's talking to Saul. 
He says, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because my family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. And he says, if I've found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is, what, uh, that is why he has not come to the king's table. Remember, Saul threw a big banquet. All right, look at the next verse, verse 30. Saul's anger, again, uncontrolled emotions because he has amazing jealousy. He's always counting things. Saul's anger flared up now at Jonathan, up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, stop, full stop. Jonathan's never done anything to his dad except for befriend David. Because he more than even his dad acknowledged that David was going to be the next ruler in Israel. David says, your dad's going to kill me. Jonathan still believes, no, at some point my dad's going to get it. Let me just stop right there. Men, my prayer is there aren't any men in this room who have kids, sons, or daughters who are thinking, someday my dad will get it. They're thinking the best of you. Just praying that someday my dad will get it. How many of you think Jonathan was sitting there thinking, Dad, will you get it? So Jonathan goes to Saul and says, man, Dad, let's don't kill him. And what was Saul's response? Not only did he get mad at Jonathan, he drags his mom into this, right? Can you imagine being a part of this conversation? <laughs> Wait, how did mom all of a sudden become a first woman? She was your wife, right? I mean, what an incredibly sad ending to this dude's life is that all the way through he never gets it. And so notice he gets mad at Jonathan. Jonathan's who served him. David who served him. You are the son of a perverse woman and a rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with this son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? And he says, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Can you imagine Jonathan being in this point? Dad, I don't want the kingdom. God has already given him the kingdom. He's crying out, Dad, please wake up. And man, men, don't ever let that be your kids your son or your daughter. Then as you read it on, he says, verse 32, he says, why should he be put to death? What has he done to you? Jonathan asked his father. Look at verse 33. But Saul hurled a spear at him and tried to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. So guys, here's we think about Saul. This is a man, he had all the natural gifting and talenting in the world. He was a jealous man. All he cared about was the praise of people. And at the end of the day, he drove everybody away from him. His kids were begging him to wake up, and he never did. So as we look at this guy named Saul, as a madman of the Bible, Nabal was a fool. But Saul was an incredible example of a man who had so much promise, who wasted it all. Don't let that be us.
Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to hang out with these guys and examine a guy's life who, man, he just never seemed to get it, never got what he needed to get, never controlled his emotions, never ultimately saw all that God had for him, hurt those around him as well as his family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next week for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.